You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good afternoon, though. I am Pat Summerall here with my colleague John Madden. I think in the beginning of the year, two of the things that would surprise a lot of people have been the rise of the Packers and the demise of the Chicago Bears. Let's talk about Green Bay and its success, John. What do you think has accounted for the rise of the Packers? Well, I think that Lindy and Fani in his second year is finally getting things done the way he wanted them. Don Mikowski has come through as a quarterback. They have good defense led by Tim Harris. And Lindy and Fani was saying last night, he said, I'm not figuring out this playoff thing. The only thing I know is we're still in it, that we have two games to go. We have to get this one. And he said, we have to function more efficiently. Last week, they didn't do well against Kansas City. And he thinks that if they're going to do it today, they have to do it passing. And he put the pressure on his wide receivers. He said, if we're going to beat the Bears, our wide receivers have to have a big day today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, it's um, pretty unfortunate, and I just saw the news probably 20 minutes ago uh, that John Madden has passed away. You know, I and I'm, I'm anybody that watched, you know, football back in the 90s or whatever, as I did, or 80s in this case. This was December 17th, 1989. It's hard to imagine the conversation they're having where they're just flabbergasted at the. Um, lack of success and how bad the Bears are doing and the fact that the Packers aren't horrible. But anybody that watched football, as far as I know, and maybe maybe there was a pocket of people that would disagree, but it's not just because John Madden passed away that I'm saying this. Everybody loved John Madden. There are some people that respect certain announcers more than others. Some got, you know, uh, Troy Aikman, some people say, you know, he doesn't deserve the criticism, but there just really isn't, there isn't a John Madden, and there certainly isn't a duo like John Madden and Pat Summerall. There are just some things that, even though they can't necessarily last forever, they're never going to be improved on. That was always the standard. If I could, now and forever, if there was a way, any way in the world, that Pat Summerall and John Madden could be the announcers for every single football game I watch for all of eternity, I would do that. And I'm, I'm also going to do my best to not turn everything into some kind of weird metaverse alternate reality thing because I've been delving into that all day and that's where my mind's at. So I'm just going to try to ignore every impulse I have to dig into that. But I mean, th- th- this is even now, and it's been such a long time since I've heard their voices, even now I hear it and it's like, that's just, that's just football to me. There's just something about it. It's, it's well, it's like this.
I'm sitting in my basement right now. There's no football on TV, and I've got such intense chills listening to that music. It's insane. That music, it, it's still, like, right now, it's still, like, there's just something about it. There's something just so perfect about it. And if they ever changed it, I would never get over that. I would never get over it. Even if they tweak it, it's going to just slightly annoy me. You know, that's that's the Fox one, which is the best one. And there's a bunch of others which are which are good. They're fine. But there are certain things that's just, this is football to me. Even fall. You know what I mean? There's something about the leaves falling. It's kind of like, ooh, ooh, football? What? There's no football anywhere. But it's like I, I could, there's a chill in the air and my whole body, my whole being just starts remembering football. The smells, the sensations, the, the, the music, the, everything about it is like, oh yeah, football. That's John Madden. His voice, when you hear it, it's just, oh, it brings me back. He is such an unbelievable icon. And I wasn't even born long enough ago to understand his impact in football beyond being an announcer which was a pretty tremendous impact. I mean, I don't even watch Monday Night Football anymore because it's on late and I just don't care as much anymore. I mean, unless it's a game I have to watch. But anytime I happen to be watching Monday Night Football for whatever reason, and whoever it is is on their singing, all I can do is get angry because all I want is Hank Williams. Are you ready for some football? Everybody else just sucks. I don't care how good they are. They suck. But on top of you know what John Madden did... For broadcasting, there's also the video games. And it's not just his name, but his voice was attached to all those games. But um, yeah, I don't I don't really know what it was about John Madden, but everybody loved John. It it it, it kind of made sense because there was that reputation he had for really liking Brett Favre. And in a way, those two guys were very similar. I don't think there's much doubt anymore that Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Brett Favre was. But I also feel like there's a general consensus, and you know, I know there's controversies and everything else after the fact where people aren't going to want to admit it, but people liked Brett Favre more than they like Aaron Rodgers, and that's really not even debatable. Even outside of of Packers fandom, people loved Brett Favre. He was an unbelievably fun player to watch. He was an unbelievably likable person. And I feel like how people thought about Favre was how people thought about John Madden. Everybody loved John Madden. And again, I don't know that it was anything necessarily that he did. I mean, he had his little quirks and stuff that were fun, his boom and you know, just the way he talks and his laugh and all that. I don't know. But again, it was just that he was synonymous with foot. He is football. He and Pat Summerall, their voice, that's football. You know, it's like Bob Euchre's voice for Brewers baseball. It's just synonymous. But anyways, that was um, not super great news to uh, to see. I was just thinking about, I think they just did a documentary about John Madden, actually. Um, I'm thinking that's why I was thinking about him recently. I don't know why, but I was just thinking about John Madden. Anyways, it's never really easy to transition away from that stuff, but I did feel it appropriate to open the show um, and at least mention Madden because, again, John Madden to me anyways, and you know, maybe different people from different eras, it's not always the case, but for me, John Madden is synonymous with football. Um, as far as on the agenda today, there is some news that we need to get to. Unfortunately, a lot of it does have to do with COVID, but let's start with this. The Jacksonville Jaguars have put in a request to interview Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett for their head coaching job per source. Couple things. Number one, this is not surprising. In fact, it would it would be surprising if he's the only person from Green Bay that gets coaching considerations. Um, I, I have to assume our offensive line coaches are getting some serious looks. If nothing else, um, maybe promoting some of the guys that we have to offensive line coordinator 
possibly upgrading our offensive line coordinator to offensive coordinator. The other the other thing I wanted to bring up though is everybody keeps saying what's the point of firing a coach midseason? This is the point. This is the point. The Jaguars are getting a head start on this stuff. Guess who the Bears are interviewing? Nobody. Because they have a head coach right now. They're they can't interview anybody. They have a head coach in the building. So the Jaguars are ripping through tons and tons and tons of interviews and they're probably going to get first pick. So it used to be the fact that you couldn't interview until, I don't know, what the, until the other team is done with the season or whatever, but there's a new rule this year that two weeks prior to the uh, end of the season, if you fire your head coach, you're allowed to ask to interview people. Now, I don't know exactly what that means in terms of, I mean, I, I would be surprised if they allow Nathaniel Hackett to just fly down to Jacksonville. Maybe he does a quick Zoom call or something. I don't know. I mean, we're still in season. We got a game coming up. But that, that is the reason. And even if that rule wasn't in place, you still want to start the process of rebuilding your team as soon as possible. If you're keeping your GM, your GM needs to get started in restru- I mean, it's not just finding a head coach. It's what direction are we going in? And if you're not keeping your GM, well, then that's probably where you need to start. We got to find it. We got to figure out what our identity is. Then from there, we have to go out and, and start talking to different GM candidates from internal to external. We have to see if they fit what we're trying to do here on top of their track record. You know, can they execute on it? Namely, bringing in free agents, draft picks, whatever. On top of that, we have to work together to identify um, head coaching candidates. There's a lot of work to be done on top of the fact that this staff is going to have to perform in the upcoming draft. The GM going to have to build out a scouting staff, going to have to work with the new coaching staff to identify needs. And in order to do that, the new coaching staff is going to have to evaluate the roster. There is so much work that needs to be done to be prepared for the draft. And what, we're going to wait until after the Super Bowl so that we can start interviewing whoever? No, we're going to get started today. This is not our head coach? Good, then why are you here? Well, because we don't want to, what, disrupt the seat we might lose the game or what, what 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 why not i don't understand why not well it just doesn't make sense to do it it does make sense to do it it doesn't make sense not to do it what is the benefit of not firing the head coach that you know you're not going to keep around what you're going to upset the team that doesn't want this coach here anymore what i don't i don't know i don't understand i don't understand why i can't think of one good reason to keep a coach around that you're 100% done with. There's no way he can save his job. He's going to be fired. We need to start finding a new head coach. Okay, so why don't we fire him and start finding a new head coach? Well, you know, I just don't see it. I just don't, uh, it's just not necessary. You know, season still season. Okay, best of luck. Jaguars have already interviewed like four people. But yeah, you go ahead and just wait till the end of the season. But anyways, there's that. And, and you know, Nathaniel Hackett came out of Jacksonville. Pretty sure. I'm not going to look it up because I'm like 95% sure. So it seems like a decent fit anyways. He's He understands the organization. He's been there. The owners know the guy. Now, they weren't super successful when he was there as the offensive coordinator. So I'm kind of wondering how much stock they're going to put in Nathaniel Hackett being able to be the head coach. Granted, that's the same thing I thought about LaFleur, kind of. I guess not really, but kind of. But maybe they just end up doing what we did with Matt LaFleur and saying, this is the scheme we want to run. You seem to be a guy that understands how to do it. Can you bring that here? Same thing with the Andy Reid tree, right? We want our offense to look like Andy Reid's offense. Can you make our offense do that? You've been there a long time. Do you, did you learn enough to be able to execute? Yes. Okay, you're the guy then. Because Nathaniel Hackett didn't come from that tree, but he's been in it for the last couple of years. So, you know, I don't know. 
Either way, it's kind of cool to have a Matt LaFleur tree. Anyway, as I mentioned, we're going to have to talk COVID news, and we have to. Um, I mentioned how certain teams just kind of get blasted. Every week, it's just kind of a new team's turn. It seems to be the Packers week. We talked about it yesterday, some people getting added. Um, three hours ago, we saw, I saw... Packers put tight end Mercedes Lewis and inside linebacker Oren Burks on the reserve COVID-19 list. Packers on the reserve COVID-19 list is up to 12 people. MVS, Kevin King, Shamar Jean, Charles, Ladarius Hamilton, Chauncey Rivers, Amari Rogers, Ben Braden, Ty Summers, Tipigalea, RJ McIntosh, Mercedes Lewis, and Oren Burks. So it's up to 12. We just added two today. We still have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and technically Sunday for people to test positive for COVID. It, we also have time for people to come off the COVID list, which is obviously a positive thing, and we hope that that happens. In addition to this, though, there was some pretty big um, news on the COVID front. It was expected, as I said, the NFL has to start moving in this direction, and they are. This is um, in accordance, kind of, with what the CDC says. And let's be honest, the CDC is just doing exactly what the NFL wants to do, which is um, we're kind of moving away from the concept of how do we best eradicate this virus and moving toward how do we get back to normal. And a lot of people are real mad about that, but there's really no point if we acknowledge all the massive negatives to all the lockdowns and the, the stay home and all the different things that we have causing lots and lots of problems and the virus is spreading wildly. We're not putting a dent in this thing. So while we're not going all the way back to, eh, just live your life, we're kind of doing it in stages, and that's where we're headed. And so even with the new rules, they really don't make any sense, and that's why a lot of people are really mad, because it's like, well, this this is a terrible policy because it's going to cause more spread. Well, yes, it is, but that's where we're headed. We're headed back to treating this like a cold, because that's our only option. Or we take on all the negative ramifications of trying to stop this thing and doing nothing to stop it. So either we can have COVID spreading like wildfire, everybody catches it, everybody spreads it, and we shut everything down, or COVID spreads like wildfire, everybody catches it, everybody spreads it, and we live our life and try to get back to some sense of normalcy. And massive corporations that are worried about purging massive amounts of money definitely have a vote in this. And their vote is, I'd like to get back to normal, please and thank you. And you can get mad about that, but again, there really isn't another alternative. As you can see, when you're adding 300 player, you know, over, over 100 players in a day, I don't think what we're doing is working all that much. So yeah, maybe it'll go from 100 to 130. Whoa. Instead of 100 people that are, you know, catching a virus and are fine, it'll be 150 people that are catching a virus and are fine. Anyways, this is via Tom Pelissero. And again, this is, we're moving in a direction and even the protocols that are in place are kind of just for show, which they kind of always have been, but whatever. Here's what he had to say. It's kind of a long thread. Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief, Medi chief medical officer, says the overwhelming majority of recent COVID cases have come from people reporting symptoms, but symptoms are generally mild upper respiratory. NFL's data agrees with the CDC. People aren't likely to transmit the virus after five days. I'm sure you do agree. Per Sills, genomic sequencing shows almost all of the NFL's recent wave of positive COVID cases are Omicron. League's data shows people aren't as sick, clear it quicker, and that's the end of the sentence. That's a weird sentence. Says the league was eager to implement to this change of five-day isolation after positive test, not 10. So the other nasty viruses are still out there, but they're very rapidly being replaced by Omicron, and Omicron is not very serious. 
And apparently it goes away faster. I don't know. Not not just going to flat out call them liars, but whatever. I It doesn't matter to me either way. The NFL informed clubs that unvaccinated players who tested positive for COVID-19 in recent days, including Colts quarterback Carson Wentz, linebacker Darius Leonard, and Chargers wide receiver Mike Williams, are now eligible to play on Sunday, provided symptoms have improved per sources. They'll go into more detail on how that works in a second. Uh, Here's the full memo. We're not going to read the full memo. It notes that fully vaccinated individuals can still test out and return in less than five days. Unvaccinated players are five days since the initial positive specimen was collected. Note that return to play isn't contingent on being asymptomatic. Again, this is how you know we're, we're really just kind of pushing through. You know, there's a whole lot of objections like, well, what about, no, 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 shut up. Yeah, but he's still got a cough. No, no, he's fine. He's fine. Go play, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just call it what it is. Here's what you need in order to return to play. Five days since your initial positive swab. Number two, at least 24 hours since your last fever. Keep in mind, almost nobody has a fever. Number three, other symptoms, for example, a cough, resolve or are improved, which is, um, what's the word, subjective? In other words, you can have a cough, but if it's deemed that your cough isn't as bad as it was at some previous point, it's improved, so probably fine. And finally, cleared by team doctor in consultation with ICS and NFL. So here's a question. And again, I don't super care, but if we're going to pretend that the NFL actually, you know, wants to make sure that they're not sick when they return, why don't you just test them again? Why don't you just test them and if they have a negative test, they can play? Maybe they do, but he didn't note that here. Five days since your swab, can't have had a fever in the last 24 hours, your cough is improving, and the doctor's like, yeah, you're fine. You can play. I'm sorry. Do you need to be neg? No, no. So you can be positive and have a cough and play. Technically speaking, that's a thing that can happen. goes on to say, once cleared after five days of isolation, all individuals would be required to wear a mask for another five days after returning, except when actively engaged in practice or a game, which again, this is all for show. And I'm not just saying the NFL, countries, states, businesses, a lot of this is for show, but I digress. What sense does it make to say that, number one, if we think it's cleared up in five days, why do you need to keep wearing a mask after five days? You have to wear a mask for an additional 10 days because it's assumed that you still carry the virus for 10 full days, right? If we don't believe that anymore, then wearing the mask doesn't make any sense. Number two, if we believe that, but you're allowed to take off your mask during a game, then we believe that you carry the virus, and we're going to let you not only play in the game, but not have to wear a mask. So we know that you're going to be spreading it, right? I'm just asking. All I'm saying is, can we just drop the facade? Because this is stupid. Again, we've been doing stupid for two years, but it's just annoying. He goes on to say, this is all in line with the new CDC guidance issued Monday. Is it? Is this what it said? I'd I'd be interested to find that. So do they say if you get COVID after a certain amount of time, you can then, you just have to wear a mask unless you like go to the gym or something where you're working out and you just pull that bad boy off. Or like if you want to go like wrestle somebody, just you can take your mask off so long as you're in like close contact and in like right in people's faces, then you take your mask off. Is that what the CDC said? That's interesting. Other notes, unvaccinated individuals still subject to five-day quarantine for high-risk close contact. Meetings only allowed outdoors or distance in practice bubble. Again, after everything we just talked about, what, what is the point of the five-day quarantine for high-risk close contact? What are, what are we trying to do? It doesn't make sense 
it never made sense. But even, especially with Omicron, the idea that the unvaccinated are more likely to catch it is borderline stupid. Omicron is laughing hysterically at your stupid vaccine. Just laughing hysterically. It's like trying to use a picket fence to hold back the ocean. Probably not going to work. But you're unvaccinated and somebody that has it was next to you, so you have to quarantine for five days because we're going to assume you have it. Which is probably true, but why don't we do that for everybody if we actually care? Because we don't care. We just want people to get vaccinated. That's the point. Beyond that, everything we just talked about, though, doesn't this seem stupid? Like, if you're standing next to somebody who has COVID, you have to hide for five days. If we test you and you have it, though, you can go play a game without a mask on. You know, after five days, but still. I don't understand this. Continuing, meetings all allowed outdoors or distance in practice bubble. Okay. Mandatory masks indoors for all. Max 15 players in the weight room, no eating together. Yeah, that's going to solve a lot of things, no eating together. You can go practice together. You can go play games together without any masks. By the way, you can stand in the middle of a stadium with 80,000 people in it and 500 people standing on the sidelines and give hugs to the, you know, sideline interviewers, then rush, everybody rushes to the locker room and they all pass through the hallways with all the security guards and all the different people that are in there, dozens of people in there, and then cram into this tight little locker room where everybody's in there. But you can't eat your ham and cheese sandwich next to the center because you might spread COVID. This is stupid. Can we just call stupid stupid? Am I allowed to do that? Can I just call stupid stupid? This is stupid. Well, it's better than nothing. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because we're accomplishing nothing. This is, this is just dumb. It's so dumb. I mean, just, just think about it from this standpoint. Picture somebody that has the virus. Think about all the things they're going to be doing and can't... We don't know they have it, right? Because remember, no eating together is... Let's just... Just in case somebody has it. So we're going to assume somebody does. How many people are they going to infect just going through a normal routine in a normal week? From meetings to practices to after-hour activities where they're allowed to go out and do whatever they want, for the most part, to practice, being in the locker room, contact with non-football players, the people that do the jerseys and the water boys, and then you got game day. You got airplane rides, right? These guys are getting on planes, and they're going into airports. Well, they have masks on. Doesn't matter. Still spreads. Hundreds of people in the airports. Dozens of people on the planes. And then they fly to another airport with a different group of hundreds of people where they get on buses together. Then they travel to stadiums with tens of thousands of people and go walking around and do all these things. But as long as you're not sitting next to Jimmy John eating your ham and cheese with crackers, we're doing our part. No, you're not. Max 15 players in the weight room. What what is that going to do? Is it like always the 16th guy that has COVID? Assuming everybody works out and there's 14 other guys in there with you, if you're assuming that... COVID is going to spread in the weight room, then the people that have it are going to spread it to the other people that have it, who are then going to go out and spread it. Well, it just minimizes it. It's better to spread it to, you know, 14 other people than 30 other people. Yeah, but they're going to get it eventually. Again, this is just such a half-cocked plan that doesn't really do any... And, and sort of like we talked about yesterday, start with the question. What are we trying to do? Tell me the goal. What is the plan? Be as annoying as possible to maybe mitigate, like, five cases, or at least delay it, because they're going to get it. We're just going to set up arbitrary rules that are extremely annoying and inconvenient for everybody and obnoxious and kind of silly to make it look like we're doing something. Is that the goal? Because that's what we're doing. If the goal is zero spread, shut the season down. And even that's not going to work. They're still going to get it. They're just going to get it at home. 
but at least you won't be responsible for it. Tell me what the goal is, and we'll try to work out a plan, but here's the thing, I guarantee you it won't look like this, because this solves nothing. So I'm glad we're moving in this direction of just stopping the, the nonsense and moving closer to if you're sick, you don't play, which is fine, right? That's the system we've had since basically the dawn of time, or at least once we realized that sickness is spread, whenever that was, right? If you're sick, you don't go to work. It's what we've always done. Anyways, point is, with the major changes, um, as of right now, everybody I listed on that COVID list could potentially come back. I don't know which of those guys is vaccinated and unvaccinated. I think MVS was unvaccinated, but I don't really remember. But he was on there a while ago, so either way, it doesn't matter. But I believe, so let's see, Wednesday, anybody that gets put on starting technically today, Wednesday, that is unvaccinated cannot play because you're outside of that window. But again, I, I, I more or less told you that would happen, and I, I wouldn't be too surprised if we continue on in this direction. I don't know how much more they can actually do in terms of loosening restrictions, but there's no doubt in my mind the NFL is going to do everything they can to make sure that COVID doesn't derail the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And again, Omicron is really lining up, the timing of it is lining up pretty poorly for, for us not having a messed up season, postseason. But again, that's why they have certain outs, like, as long as you're feeling okay, you know, we won't test, we'll just take your word for it. Feeling good? All right, go play. Anyways, we haven't covered as much ground as I was hoping, but uh, we're at the 25-minute mark, so why don't we go ahead and take a break here, uh, and then we'll come back and kind of dive into a couple things. A lot of things from yesterday I didn't actually get to because I was stuck on the thing I was stuck on, and I'm going to try not to do that again today to get just stuck on one thing and then we don't get to move on, but um, we'll see how it goes. Anyways, if you would like to support the um, the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join in for as little as a dollar a month. It'd be greatly appreciated. But why don't we take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I really, really, really don't want to get hung up on this because we've talked about it for two days in a row, but I'll just say this very briefly. I mentioned yesterday that I went through the blowout percentage, and I said that there's not a lot here. Now, that was just one way of kind of looking at the information, and the information was what it was. I had, who was it now? Uh, Zach. So Zach is in the uh, Patreon Discord. And he said, kind of in response to, if you have more deeper information or a different way of looking at it, hit me up and we'll look at it. Going back to 2010, 18 of 22 participants in the Super Bowl have been top five in point differential. The exceptions, 2011 Giants, who were 19th, 2012 Ravens, ranked 11th, 2015 Broncos, ranked 10th, 2020 Chiefs, ranked 6th, Packers are currently 11th. In other words, if we assume point differential means blowouts, it seems to me that blowouts matter. It is looking at it from a different perspective. What I did compared to point differential are two different things. And they kind of mean two different things. And it's kind of funny because I was just looking at this not too long ago. But there's kind of a cool way of looking at this. One of the things that I actually like to do and have done the last couple years is look at things like points for, points against, see where you rank and all those kinds of things and kind of get an idea of what kind of a team you are and what kind of a team you match up with. So, you know, the... 2021 Packers, I, I haven't done it yet, so I'm making this up, but they they match up with the 1996 Dallas Cowboys, and here's what the Cowboys did, and here's how they're... It's just kind of a fun little exercise. But I do like looking at points for and points against, because what, what are those things? Points for. If you rank high in points for, you're talking about a good offense. If you're low in points for, it's a bad offense, generally. Again, there's variables. Doesn't take into account time right? You could have been great in the beginning of the year and then you fell off, but you're still ranked really highly because of how good you were in the past. But right now, you're we're leaving all that aside. We're just keeping it very general. What about points against? We're talking defense. If you have a low points against, you have a good defense because not a lot of points are scored against you. If you're high, it's a bad defense. Now, there's actually two other metrics that are kind of interesting. One of them I thought was useless, but I'm wrong. I was wrong. If you think about them as four different quadrants, you have good and bad, and then you have offense and defense. Point differential is one of those things, but there's also points combined. Points combined I thought was useless because who really cares about, you know, what the total points are that you score and get scored against you, right? I don't know why, but then I thought about it, and points, point differential and points combined are just the four different quadrants. If you are really high in points combined, what does that mean? It means you score a lot of points and you have a lot of points scored against you. Meaning what? Good offense, bad defense. If you're low in points combined, you don't score a lot of points, but you don't have a lot of points scored against you. Meaning bad offense, good defense. Point differential is the other two quadrants. Point differential being high. Remember, we're talking about the difference between how many points you score and how many points they score. So if it's high, that's how much you beat teams by. So a high point differential means good offense, good defense. Low point differential is bad offense, bad defense. So the reason why I didn't delve too much into point differential is because it's sort of self-explanatory or or 
self-evident. Teams with a high point differential correlate to good teams. Well, I mean, kind of duh, right? <laughs> because it's teams that have a good offense and a good defense. You know what I mean? It, it, it's sort of self-evident to say, we're trying to find out who the best teams are. Should we use a metric that finds the best teams? Like, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's what we're saying. But it is kind of cool because, again, by using these, and if you, if you actually kind of plot them out, you can probably see where the teams rank, and it kind of gives you a cool little visual. But for example, if we do this, and we'll start off with the sort of less interesting ones, the teams that are on the extreme ends of the spectrum, so really good offense, but really bad defense, number one is the Chargers, then Dallas, Minnesota, Tampa, and the Rams. So that's sort of their identity. You score a lot of points, but you have a lot of points scored against you. On the flip side is your offense sucks, but at least your defense is good. You got the Jaguars, you got Jacksonville, you got the Giants, Seattle, and then Miami. Now, again, this isn't 100%. It could just be that your offense is so bad that even if teams are scoring 30 points against you, you still are kind of low in this. So again, it's not 100%, but generally that's what we're talking about. They're low-scoring games. Good defense, bad offense, and to varying degrees. But Denver, Jacksonville, Giants, Seattle, Miami. Now you got teams with low point differential, which means bad offense, bad defense. You got Jacksonville, the Jets, Houston, Detroit, and Atlanta. Then you got teams with the good offenses and the good defenses. Dallas, Tampa, Buffalo, Kansas City, Indy. You say, well, how can some of these teams be on two lists at once? Well, again, like I said, it could just be that you skew so highly in one direction that it kind of skews the whole thing. So Dallas is in the good offense and good defense category and the good offense, bad defense category. Why? Well, because they score so many points. So if you win a game 80 to 30, your defense gave up a bunch of points, so you would be at high points combined. But there's also a massive point differential. So again, it's not 100%, but it's just kind of a fun little cheat sheet. Now again, if I wanted to refine this a little bit more, I would probably look at the second half of the season just to kind of get a little bit more of a zoomed in picture. I know that gives us less data, not more data, where you typically want more, but I'm looking at the more variability factor that things change over time. And so I want to see a more, as much data as we can get while being more, just eliminating old information that really doesn't pertain to what the team is right now. So before we move on, it's worth noting Green Bay is 11th in point differential, and that's the highest they rank in any category. So if you had to put them in a quadrant, it would be kind of just barely in the good offense, good defense quadrant. Not like way into that category, but that would be the the quadrant they're in. Now, if you look at the second half of the year, uh, the Packers actually move up the 10th, which is not very much more in terms of point differential. The difference is they, they move up a lot more in the points combined category. Why is that? Because they're trending toward their offense is getting better and their defense is getting worse. As a result, the point differential is staying about the same. It's getting a little bit better, but it's getting there in a different way. Whereas before, the defense was kind of holding it down and the offense wasn't scoring as much. Now the offense is scoring more and the defense is giving up more. So they're higher scoring games that we're still generally winning by about the same margin. The most dominant teams, by the way, in the last eight weeks or so, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Dallas, the Patriots, and the Colts. And again, I do like point differential. And again, if you use the sorting thing, these are, with the exception maybe of Philadelphia, only because I haven't been paying attention to Philadelphia. Same thing I said yesterday about Jalen Hurts. Like, I don't know anything about the guy. Probably should start paying attention. 
for reference, they have won one, two, three, four, five of their last six games. They beat Denver 30 to 13. They beat the Saints 40 to 29. They lost to the Giants 7 to 13. So the defense did a great job. So again, you're keeping that the the defensive score positive. I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. It's just the offense fell off. Then they beat the Jets 33 to 18. They beat Washington 27 to 17. They beat the Giants 34 to 10. So they're not playing powerhouses, but they are annihilating everybody. That's pretty impressive. And again, wondering why Jalen Hurts is is uh, grading out as positively as it is. I don't know. Maybe it's because he scored 44 points against Detroit in uh, Week 8. He scored 30 against Denver, which is a good defense in Week 10. He scored 40 against the Saints in Week 11, 33 against the Jets in Week 13, 27 in Week 15, and 34 in Week 16. So Eagles are one of those weird teams where it's like, you know, I hope they miss the playoffs because this is... <laughs> This is worrying me a little bit. But again, it's it's I said yesterday the blowout percentage was not a good list. I would choose record over blowout percentage in terms of ranking the teams who are, you know, from best to worst. I would take point differential over record, especially looking at the second half of the year. The teams I'm most scared of, Kansas City, Dallas, uh Indy, those are probably my three the teams I'm most worried about, those are both, or all of them are in the top five. And that's not to say I'm not worried about New England or Philly. I just, you know, a little bit iffy because New England maybe is starting to taper off and I'm not sure what Philly is. So to elaborate, number one, as I said, I'm not anti-advanced stats. I'm not saying that your record is the best way to tell you how good a team is. I just don't like using bad data. And a lot of times data is so bad that using basic stats that we know are not good metrics are even better. However, point differential, pretty solid. Because again, that's that's really what we're looking at. There's the four quadrants. There's offense, defense, good, bad. And it's not that surprising that if you have a good offense and a good defense, you have a bet, better shot. Now, nothing is a guarantee, and we'll find that in a couple weeks when I go through this whole process of looking at how we rank offensively and defensively and how that matches up against other teams and whatnot. I might even throw a wrinkle in there and look at second half of the season, compare that to other teams' second half of the season, just to kind of get a... Because again, I kind of like this ranking better than the other ranking, which was Dallas, Tampa, Buffalo, Kansas City, and Indy. I think I would choose the newer ranking. But anyways, by the way, the best offenses in the... Might as well just go through it. The best offenses in the second half of the season, Chargers, Dallas, Indy, 49ers, and Philadelphia. Best defenses, the Chiefs, freaking blows my mind, uh, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Broncos, and the Eagles. So much about that that's weird. And again, this is a weird season where there's really bad teams that are playing really, really well. And even teams like Kansas City, where I was taking my victory lap apparently a little bit too early about them falling off, and they just completely figured it out. And it's not even so much Pat Mahomes woke up, which is something that would be more understandable. It's that the worst defense in football suddenly became the best defense in football, and I don't know how to reconcile that in my brain. What is going on today? There's a Chicago Bears reporter that passed away at 44 years old. Apparently his son, who is 11, um, has lost both of his parents to cancer. This is horrible. And now I just got a message that says Harry Reid has passed away. Jeez. Anyways, um, I want to do something as quickly as I possibly can here. This is from a couple days ago, but I just find this a lot of fun. Um, 
I know we've been nerding out the last three days because I've been trying to flesh this out and it's been kind of fun to, to talk about, but this all started with uh, Dominic on Twitter, which is at Hooltras1944, H-O-O-L-T-R-A-S-1944. We'll shout out. Anyways, he posted something that he found on the bottom of his television, and it says, Chicago is 3-2 and two this season when a quarterback other than Justin Fields starts they're 2-8 and eight when Justin Fields starts, which is to say the Bears actually have a winning record when Justin Fields didn't play, and I think that's kind of hilarious. And again, we can say that this isn't fully fleshed out, and there's a lot of reasons and all these kinds of things, but if you're a Bears fan, there is nothing really that should be inspiring a lot of confidence. This doesn't help, but I decided I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper because it got me thinking a little bit. We can't say definitively that all the other quarterbacks that played for the Bears are better than uh, Mitch Trubisky, excuse me, getting ahead of myself, than Justin Field. But the cool thing about looking at that is, you know, if you try to compare Justin Fields to Mitch Trubisky, you're talking about different teams, and it's not really a fair comparison necessarily. I mean, you can use PFF grade, which uses, you know, metrics that go beyond the team. But when you compare Justin Fields to Andy Dalton to Nick Foles, you're talking about quarterbacks that all played relatively for the same coach, same scheme, same offensive line, running back, wide receivers, right? Slight variance, but when you've got a winning record, when Justin Fields doesn't play and two and eight with Justin Fields, anyways, that kind of got me thinking, rather than just looking at the quarterback and saying the quarterback's bad, And then Bears fans saying, well, the quarterback's bad because the team is bad. Why don't we compare the quarterbacks to the other quarterback? And again, there's a lot of variables here, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's interesting anyways. Let's take a look at what Trubisky did compared to other quarterbacks, because in every one of these seasons, you had somebody else step up for at least a game or two. So how about Mitch Trubisky's rookie season? Mike Glennon went 1-3 with the 2017 Chicago Bears. You know what Trubisky did? He was 4-8. That is to say, Mitch Trubisky was the better quarterback. He played better than Mike Lennon. 2018, Chase Daniel was 1-1. Mitch Trubisky, 11-3. Mitch Trubisky was dominant with that team. Chase Daniel was 500. Now, again, small sample size. Who knows? It's hard to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. How about 2019? Chase Daniel gets another opportunity. This is his third game now, but it's 2019, 0-1. Mitch Trubisky, 8-7. and seven. He had a winning record. Chase Daniel was 0-1. Mitch Trubisky, for the third year in a row, better than all the other quarterbacks that started. How about 2020? Nick Foles. Now, the great thing about Nick Foles is that Nick Foles also played with Justin Fields. So if it's just that, well, all these other quarterbacks are even worse than Trubisky. So, you know, you got Fields, and then you got Trubisky, and then you got, you know, Mike Glennon, and then you got Mike Chase Daniel, and that's that's the true ranking. What about Foles, though? Foles in 2020 was 2-5. and five. Trubisky was 6-3. and three. That's, that's actually a very good record. I mean, if that played out for the whole season, you're looking at roughly an 11-5 season or so. Now in 2021, Foles is 1-0. and oh. He's 100%. Dalton is 2-2. Two two. Fields is 2-8. of eight. By far the worst record. Well, that's because Justin Fields played all the hard teams or whatever. You know, all right. That's fine. It's just one more thing. That's all it is, right? I'm just baking a Justin Fields' trash cake, right? And this little stat, that's just a dash of salt. Got to put in that dash of salt. On top of all the cinnamon, the flour, obviously. 
It's just not looking good, man. It's not looking good when every other quarterback, who are guys that we know are not very good quarterbacks, did a better job of leading this team that we assume is just bad because of your head coach, but has a winning record with these other quarterbacks. You just wonder, you know, what if what if Foles and or Dalton were just playing the season? There are a couple close calls here. Look at that Pittsburgh game. Lost by two points. Got the ball back. There was enough time to go down and get a field goal. Not much time, but there's something there. I don't know. Maybe Dalton gets it. How about that game against Baltimore? That was an interesting game, wasn't it? I believe the Chicago Bears scored zero points when Justin Fields was on the field. Justin Fields got hurt. Andy Dalton comes out his first drive. They uh, they get a touchdown. In fact, it was two plays. Andy Dalton threw to Jimmy Graham for 23 yards. Then he threw a pass to Darnell Mooney, which went for 60 yards and a touchdown. So you're on the board finally with seven points, but it's uh, halfway through the third quarter. Andy Dalton goes on to score 13 points, and you lose 13 to 16. Outscored them 13 to 10 in the second half, but Justin Fields was in the first half and scored zero points. I'm just saying maybe you win a couple more games if Justin Fields isn't your quarterback. How about the game against the Vikings? Justin Fields got one garbage time touchdown at the end of the game. That's it. It's the only touchdown he got all game. Had three points in the second quarter, otherwise basically shut out by the Vikings. Just saying maybe Andy Dalton or Nick Foles is able to find a way to score more than 17 points, which is all the Vikings got. I don't know, man. Best of luck to you, though. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic whatever day it is. I will talk to you tomorrow. Um, I am planning on, because we got to get rolling with the schedule here, I am planning on doing Laughing at the Enemy before we move on to the breakdown of the Minnesota Vikings and kind of looking at what they've been up to recently. It's not great, but, you know, still scared of them because it's the Vikings. But uh, that'll be the plan. You guys have a good day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.